Hey friends, the views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Let's Talk Menopause. Let's Talk Menopause does not provide medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions that you may have. How would you describe the stereotype of an older woman? Ugh, okay. Buckle up, people. Washed up. Not so good of a driver. Less joyful. Grandma baking cookies. Our dry down yonder. More conservative. A hot flash is feverish. Maybe a little nausea. You get hot. It's like you have this inner... Furnace. ...that spreads out. Do you think any animals experience menopause? Any animal that menstruates, I would think. Probably most mammals. Dolphins? What would you think if I told you that whales go through menopause? That's a way to normalize what we as humans uh, go through. Hello Menopause, a podcast where you'll hear real menopause stories from real people. Whispering behind closed doors? Not here. And we promise it is not just in your head. And you are not alone. I'm your host, Christine McGinnis. And I'm your other host, Robin Gelfenbein. Let's talk menopause. At the top of the episode, we heard our menopause on the street segment. Now, for those of you who don't know, this is a segment where I go out on the streets of New York and ask total strangers about menopause. <laughs> I love this one so much. There is so many funny things that came out of this one. And as you know, like we talk about all the time, like I talk to all these people, but when you isolate these like little tidbits, it kills me. It's so freaking yeah. funny. And seriously. Out of the gate, it makes me laugh. Because yes. when I ask, like, what's the stereotype of an older woman, this woman's like, oh. <laughs> like you already That's know. That's what got me, too. That it was like these two words that said everything. She goes, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, where do I start? Buckle up. <laughs> she was priceless. Oh, yeah. And then everything that they said was just your stereotypes, like, the one that really struck me was like not a good driver because I, I feel like that's such an antiquated thought. But I was like, well, I guess some people still feel that way. I thought about that too, like the washed up, bad driving, cranky, older woman. But totally. I'm really curious, did did people say anything positive? I don't, not that I remember. I think maybe a couple of people did, but I, oh, okay. I truly don't remember. And then I do remember talking to these two pharmacists from, I think they were from Macon, Georgia. Yeah. And one of them is the one who says, like, dry down yonder. It's just like the down yonder part kills me because it's such a, you know, that's also such a throwback term. And I also think it's because people can't say vagina. That's a good point. I should ask, we should do a, a whole, like, person on the street where I ask people, like, yeah. what they call a vagina. And then you just get everybody's, like, you know, euphemisms. Right. When you were growing up in your house, did people say vagina? I'm trying to remember what we said. My mother, I don't think the word has ever come out of her mouth. I also found it really interesting how people reacted to a hot flash. And I've, I'm curious, I kind of wonder what people who've never had a hot flash imagine a hot flash to be. And I thought they mm-hmm. were pretty close, the the idea of a furnace and the notion right. of it spreading. A lot of times it makes your heart race and makes you feel panicky. And mm-hmm. I think I was glad to hear that people on the street got a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the questions I asked them. And I feel like 
I can't remember which one of our guests, but I feel like I've heard the term furnace used before to describe what a hot flash feels like. Oh, yeah, and that was interesting that the, the notion, the stereotype of an older woman was you grow more conservative. That's not true for me, but I wonder if it's true for other people. I don't know. I mean, I could see why some people might say that, but it's definitely not, I don't think, a universal thing. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the longer you live, the more you've seen it all, and you, you're like, okay, you're more tolerant. Okay, mm-hmm. whatever. Yes. Well done. Oh, thanks. Without further ado, let's get into our conversation with our guest for today. We are so grateful to speak with American author and educator Darcy Steinke. Darcy has written five novels and three nonfiction titles. Today, we're going to be speaking to her about the topic of her most recent nonfiction book, Flash Count Diary, Menopause, and the Vindication of Natural Life. In Flashcount Diary, Darcy writes frankly about her own experience with menopause and elegantly weaves her own personal story together with philosophy, science, art, and literature. We'll be talking about the experience of aging, hormones, and even whales. Yes, whales. Here is our insightful and absolutely delightful conversation with the wonderful Darcy Steinke. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today, Darcy. Do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Darcy Steinke. I'm a writer. Um, I wrote a book called Flash Count Diary, which was about my own personal menopause like journey. Like It's also about the fact that killer whales also go through, like female killer whales also go through menopause. And it's about a lot more, too. Awesome. Well, we are so excited to talk to you about that book. Yeah, it is just rich with wonderful information and personal stories, so much research. But before we do that, we wanted to hear more about your menopause experience. So when did you first start experiencing perimenopause and like what was the first change that got your attention? I I don't really have a lot of memories of perimenopause because, you know, this was now 10 or 15 years ago and there really was hardly anything about perimenopause then. Like, I do remember some crying, like in weird at weird times some anxiety, some sleeplessness, but I really didn't know what it was. I was still menstruating. So I was just like, I didn't know what it was, you know, but then I really noticed, you know, fluctuations in my periods and, um, having trouble sleeping and all these things really started at around 50. And I think by 52, I was done menstruating. And then I was in the hard part of menopause. Like I think of the hot, you know, the serious hot flashes, the sleeplessness for three to five years. I still run a little hotter, you know, but um, I don't have those like nuclear meltdowns like I did then. You know what I mean? That's kind of, I mean, thank God that's over, you know? Yeah. So you were talking about sleeplessness. Like how did that affect your day-to-day life, working, family, like all of that? The hardest part for me was sort of when it started, the sleeplessness sort of wears you down. And I started to kind of just feel kind of, lost and confused like and I had a lot of trouble getting information like I even my own doctor who you know she's this wonderful French woman I can remember telling her some symptoms and she's like well I don't know I'm not sure what it could be like she didn't even guess that it was menopause you know which is just so crazy Mm. so you know I was left to sort of google it out alone like so many women are you know for me it was a feeling of isolation and loneliness I think those were my main things like the hot flashes were bad the sleeplessness was a drag. And also 
all the negativity around it. Like there was really no way to understand what was happening to me in ways that were, you know, about a transition of power, which is what it actually is. You know what I mean? Like it was all like negative. Like now you're going to become, you know, like a dried up hag. Yeah. You know, it, it was really depressing too, you know? So like I was reading things and looking for things and being a writer, you know, I always look to, I try to understand the world a lot through books. So I was looking for books that might help me. And I found very few. I mean, I just feel like there's so much negativity around even the details, like the physical details, like, you know what I mean? And then the real thing was when I found out that killer whales go through it and, and the fact that they become the leaders of their pods, you know, once they're 45 or 50 and they've, they've transitioned, then they be, you know, go on to become leaders. And the fact that, you know, a lot of scientists are thinking that that may be why we go through menopause is that at around 50, we become so valuable to our communities that there needs to be two groups of women, one group to have babies and do the incredibly important work of mothering and another group to be leaders, you know? So that was the first like solid positive thing that I had heard that started my sort of upward, you know, feeling like it wasn't the end of the world, feeling like there was hope and also, you know, giving me the idea to write my book, Flash Count Diary, you know, that I should write a book about it. Like I should write the book that I wanted to read myself, you know, um, that didn't really exist, you know? Yes. Right. Definitely. We talked about the whales and the whales are endlessly fascinating and I definitely want to address that. But just going back, and I don't want to dwell on all the negativity because you actually do have such a positive perspective on it that really is like so hopeful, just in terms of like hot flashes and how the fact that it's like so hack to just reference hot flashes. It's so annoying. It is annoying. And so it's like, why do you think that's the brunt of the joke? Is it because there's just this lack of information about menopause or is it just because women are always made to be suffering regardless. Like, you know, what do you think the origin of that is? I think that we live in a patriarchy. Men are afraid of the female body. They're particularly afraid of the female body that no longer, you know, there's a powerful thing in being a little bit separate from, you know, the life of mothering the domestic sphere and whatnot. I think that's, I think that's intimidating to men. There's nothing for them like in menopause. Like, you know, there's something for men in puberty, we become sexual beatings. There's something for them in birth. We give birth to their children. But I think they think it's a separation. You know, it's a, I mean, so many men said to me, and it was sad, you know, she doesn't care about me anymore. She doesn't love me like she did, you know. And then I thought a lot about why women pick this up too. Like women will make fun of their flashes. Like, you know, on like Etsy, there's all this like, you know, these buttons or t-shirts you can buy, like, watch out, I'm flashing. And like, you know, I just think it's ridiculous. Like, you know, why are we making fun of our own bodies? I think we have to face the fact that it's boilerplate misogyny. You know, yeah. I think we just have to really face that. I mean, right. I think if we face that directly, then we can maybe build back up from it. You can't soft sell it. It's just shitty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think there's three, three real transitions if a woman has a child, like if a woman becomes pregnant, like you go through puberty, you can go through, you know, bearing children. Right. And then you go through menopause. And the first two, even though they come with painful symptoms and side effects, it's viewed more as a positive, you know, like right. you're going through exactly. puberty. I yeah. remember with my daughter getting her little period kit and hiding them in her locker and like living little notes. And we all knew it was a transition, but we kind of celebrated it. Right menopause, that transition has no party. Not yet. Why do you think that is, Darcy? Like, why do you think? I think that culturally, you know, we're, it's, it's diminishing. I mean, women are still valued for their sexual, mostly for their sexuality and for their ability to, 
like to be mothers, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. we're not, you know, valued for being like 60-year-old badass women. I mean, <laughs> I, I value women for that. Like, I value my friends, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's one of the things that's, that I value the most. But culturally, are we there? No. I mean, we have a long way to go. A long, long, long way to go. Yeah. I loved your book. I really, really loved it. And I had to laugh when I got to the part where you um, compared yourself to the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you said, yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to paraphrase it, but I, I, I hope I get this right, that you said it, it really wasn't just this, like, I'm having symptoms. It was yeah. like, I'm having this, like, violent change. Yeah. Just to say I'm feeling this symptom reduces it. How did that feel? I mean, I tried to, part of writing my book, and it really helped me, you know, to go through menopause and to be working on the book as well and to talking to other women and doing research. And part of the work of the book was to sort of, you know, weed out those things for me that I was just talking about, the things that, you know, negative things from the culture. And so the hot flash was interesting because after a while, you know, they're so terrible at first and you're like, how am I going to live with this? Like, it's like a swamp, you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> After a while, I was sort of like, well, you know, it's almost like graduate school for the body or something. You know what I mean? Like, my old self is actually burning off. Yeah. yeah. For me, it was sort of recontextualizing some of these things. You know, I sort of accepted it. I was like, well, you know, I'm up at night. Maybe I need to think a little bit, you know, do kind of a, you know, reckoning, you know, with my past, like what my life's been like. So I would do some serious thinking. I would kind of get up, do some thinking, do some journaling. That turned into a kind of a hopeful and meditative space. You know, rather than fighting it and being mad that I wasn't sleeping, yeah, I decided to be like, well, you're probably up because you need to think deeply about some things, you know? So many of the things that are considered bad, I try to think, okay, what is my body actually telling me? How can this be not negated but made into something generative, you know? For many years, I had that feeling of, I was kind of desperate to get the old me back. I I would just remember always thinking like, when am I going to feel myself? Mm -hmm. And it took me a number of years to say, you aren't going to be her. There's a new you. And I wonder, because I heard you say that, I wonder how true that is for other women who go through menopause, if they have this feeling of reinvention. Yeah. I mean, that was really true for me, the thing you're saying. Like, like I felt like, who am I? I'm not the person I was. And I felt the same way. Like, should I go back to my old self? And who was that old self? Is it a, is it a person worth going back to? But, but then you realize it's not to stay the same is not really a very good strategy. I mean, it doesn't really work, you know? Right. So you sort of are like, no, I'm going to be a new person now. And I'm going to, I have to try to to figure out like, what's it going to be like to live into this life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, the sexuality part, I think is really a part that no one ever talks about. And that's part that's hard where there are sexual changes that are tricky. You know, I mean, my feeling has always been, I want to have a sex life that's true to my body. Like, I don't want to do things that like make me go back to my fertile sex life. You know, I mean, there are things that I don't like now that I like then, mm-hmm. you know, there are new, there are new ways to be together. And I really want to embrace that. I mean, I think if you can be honest and embrace that, that can be quite powerful, but I think that's a pretty big transition too. Yeah. You know, that people don't talk about. In the book, you talked a lot about how you relied on the trans community. Can you tell us about that for people who haven't read the book? Yeah. Well, you know, as I was at the beginning of this thing, I was like, you know, I have some trans friends and I was like, there's something about their transition that is very familiar to me right now. You know, my hormones are also dropping out, but rather than like in the menopausal model, like, oh no, it's a big tragedy. You know, like 
you know, I mean, transitioning people are sort of excited about where they're going, right? Like their hormones are changing, but they're like, wow, I'm going to be a new person with a new life, you know? So I was like, okay, well, let's see what's there, you know? So I read a lot of the trans uh, memoirs, extremely inspiring. I mean, I find the trans community so inspiring. You know, the idea that a hormonal transformation doesn't have to be this big, sad thing. Like it can be actually something that's quite exciting. I don't know how to quite say this. I don't quite have the words for it. But when I read that in the book, like I really empathized with what you were saying. Like the whole gender bending notion, you know, you see yourself through a different lens and I'm going to quote you to you. So you said, defeminization is not on the list of menopause symptoms. Even if ungendering were listed, it would be framed as a negative rather than as the rare opportunity it is to finally slip out of the brutal binary system. Well, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to be a woman. There's so much crap you got to do. Yes. I'm less interested in looking feminine and I'm more interested now in looking interesting. I definitely am female and I feel female, but I feel less feminine, if that makes sense. Like, I don't ever question where I am. I'm I'm female, but I am so much less feminine especially when your kids get older. And can you explain the grandmother hypothesis? Is that what it's called? Well, the whole idea that, yeah, that yeah, menopause is a, to a lot of scientists is a evolutionary puzzle because most creatures, you know, they procreate till the very end of their lives, you know? So there's been a lot of confusion. Why do we in midlife just stop having children, you know? But one of the reasons, which is sort of connected to the whales, is that you know, again, around 50, we get so valuable that we, you know, you're rather risking like our death in more pregnancies, like it's better for us to just lead. And also we can help with, you know, our grandchildren, we can help with you know, our daughter's children. I feel like that's been a little bit minimized into like, we can be grandmothers, but I don't think that's what it really means. I think right. what it really means is we can help and lead the whole community. Like we can help like the younger generation, right? Like it's not just, you know, I don't have any grandchildren yet. I'm sure I'll be crazy about them if I ever get them, you know? <laughs> but it's not just about that. It's about like a general richness that we can, that we are needed in the community for that, for our general richness, our wisdom. I mean, it's important to remember that before technology, you know, when you needed to know something, you would go to the old, you know, the 90-year-old lady in the town and she would yes. know like after the tsunami, which, which the plants you could eat again. And like, you know, I mean, knowledge was kept in human beings. And that's part of the grandmother you know, hypothesis as yeah. well, you know. Mm -hmm. Speaking of grandmothers, uh, we keep alluding to the whales, but yeah. you had an experience with a whale named Granny. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to have you share what that story was like when you went out to visit Granny. So Granny, that's her nickname. Her official science name is J2. Uh, she's passed now, but she, she oh. was 105 when she passed. I'm, I'm actually really sad to hear that. Yeah, um. she's passed. But um, so I got obsessed with these whales. They're called the Southern Residents. It's the J, K, and M pod. They live in the Salish Sea, like off the coast of Washington State. And it's from studying them that they found out that postmenopausal females are leaders. So I'd gone out a couple times, and I think maybe it was the third time I'd gone. I remember we went out, we went in for lunch. When we came back out, almost immediately, somebody in the group said, I think I see whales. And so we looked down and we saw these sort of, you know, whales, your killer whales have this really beautiful, like, black and white sort of yin-yang look to them. So way off on the horizon, we saw them, you know, kind of jumping and spouting mm -hmm. and doing all the things they do after they eat. So we see them coming. They're coming up the coast, and... Two or three go underneath our boats, and they are very beautiful under the water, but then two go in front of us, 
And this one comes very close to me. Like I would say, I don't know, like maybe just like maybe six yard, six feet away or something really close. I mean, really close to the front of the boat. And as the whale comes up, I see the, you know, the big eye and the guide is in back of me. And he says to me, it's granny. I see the notch. Hmm. And I'm like, no way. Like the one whale that I wanted to see the most has come right up to my, I mean, I almost started laughing. I was like, how could this be happening? You know what I mean? Like, but it was very powerful in that it wasn't like, a soft focus moment, like a rich lady and her elephant. You know what I mean? It wasn't like that. It was like granny had a very censorious look, I would say. She, mm. Like the look was really like, what the frig are you guys doing? Like, you know, I mean. Do you think she wanted to know if you were a, a friend or a foe? Do you think she was checking you out for danger? No, I think she knows. I mean, a whale like that, they know people. Like she's seen people for her whole life, you know? I mean, that's, these are creatures that have brains that are four times bigger than ours. Wow. And they also have spindle cells, you know, which is empathy cells. I mean, this, wow. is, this is like a creature that's like brilliant, you know? So she knows exactly what a person is, you know? But the look was really not, it, it wasn't mean. It was more, it was very, very intelligent. It was kind of like, you should get your shit together. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was like. I guess like going into it, I thought, oh, I'll have this experience with the wild. It'll be amazing. And I'll feel like a goddess and everything. But it was very powerful, like in its realness, you know, it was very real, you know, and she was like a real leader, you know, so mm -hmm. to see her was just, it helped me more than any other aspect of my menopause to see a postmenopausal creature doing her life at, at the top of her ability, you know, like, and really surviving and, and just being so incredible. Yeah. I do a lot of writing, not, not to the same degree that you do, but I know that it can be a really lonely endeavor um, at times. And so I wondered if, whether it was seeing Granny or just knowing that these creatures existed who were experiencing something similarly to you, do you feel like the whales maybe helped you feel less alone when you were writing your book? You know, I think in some ways my struggle has not, because I've always loved, I love to write and I sort of love to be on my own. I think mm. my struggle has been more to honor my own solitude. Mm. And to feel like it's important. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. So yeah. I feel like in some ways the whales and just the whole menopausal journey, I think, helped me with that a lot. Like, you know, like I am not not just for my helper things, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, not just for my like female helper things, but my own solitude and me just being with myself. It is really important. I want to find ways to honor that and to and to really live into it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I always remember someone said to me once, I think it was Maggie Nelson. She said, uh, loneliness is a solitude with a problem in it. Mm -hmm. Like if you're, I mean, loneliness is, is, is not great, but solitude is, is amazing. Right. So like, sure. I think that's been a menopausal plus actually is me, is me being able to sit in my solitude and feel like it's okay to do that. And that it's a valuable thing, you know? Yeah. We hear at Let's Talk Menopause and, and Robin and I and almost every single person we, I think every person we have sat down to talk with so far say people feel alone who are going through the transition. Right, yeah. But the second thing we hear is that during perimenopause, not so much after, people feel a sense of invisibility mm. or being less seen. Mm -hmm. Does that ring true for you at all? It's, you know, and now it's like doubly with COVID, right? Because you, like, you actually aren't being seen. Like yeah. I did this, mm. like, I did this really funny thing on, on New Year's Eve as I was invited to just like a family dinner with a family that had kids, but I wore like 
my leather pants and my like fringy thing and my silver boots. And as soon as I got there, I realized the mistake I made. <laughs> but, but I so much want to, yeah, I so much want to be out, you know, like, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not even out that much, but like, I want to, you know, be out at like a literary event and I want yeah, people right. to see me. I want to be talking, you know, I've noticed that it's more important for me that my partner sees me during this time. Cause I think I got, I think I got, I got more affirmation from the culture when I was younger. Yes. But I think now I sort of only really care if I'm sexually attractive to my partner, which is a great feeling. And then I also, it doesn't really bother me when I move around. I mean, I remember when it started to be less, like I would move around on the street and I'm like, well, no one's really looking at me anymore. Um, Earlier uh, you were talking about that there's no rite of passage for menopause, but I'd say if there is one, it's the girl weekend. You know, it's the like, you know, 60 birthday, let's go out, you know, let's go have a weekend somewhere with your girlfriends or something. I think that's the thing. And I find from so many, like among my peers, my age, but also because I was a teacher, I'm in touch with the younger generations. They too talk about this notion of wanting to live with the golden girls at the end of their, like they have this notion of wanting to be surrounded by their girlfriends. I hear this all the time. I have to say all my friends are like, well, you know, when we get rid of all of our, I guess they're mean spouses, I guess. <laughs> We're just going to live together. We don't come out and say that, but yes. I mean, no one actually <laughs> says it, but that is that is what people are thinking, yeah. I guess, right? It's amazing how present it is, though. It's really, I completely agree with you. Yeah. I'm surprised to see, though, that this, you know, my former students who are in their 30s, I see them joking with each other. And I think, oh, this is almost a universal for women, the sense yeah. of we'll, we'll get back together again. Well, I think there's like obviously a bonding and there's just the camaraderie of going through, like like we were talking about earlier, puberty, bearing children, all these things that we can all relate to in some way, shape or form. And because you were talking about, you know, this boilerplate misogyny where like we, we are not really allowed to talk about these things in, mm. you know, pleasant company. So menopause is the third and if you're going to be honest, it's the final stage. And I think that's why a lot of people struggle with it, this notion of, is this it? Is this the end? Instead of focusing on a beginning, I mean, we live on average 30 years after reaching menopause and studies show that women are the happiest they've ever been. And I I think Mm -hmm. that that gets uh, not a lot of press time. But I guess I just want to ask for you personally, how has your aging experience been? How do you feel about growing older? There's parts of it that I really like. I like having an adult relationship with my daughter. That's been extremely like amazing and fun, you know. I like having more time to to walk in the park, to do the kind of things that I want to do. I like that a lot. I'm a human. I feel scared about living in a body that's aging for sure. You know, I've had my issues with my back and whatnot, and that's scary. I mean, I've, I think as a younger woman, you know, I'm, I've always been interested in theology, and I, I used to love the idea of diminishment, you know, that like learning new things it can help you. And that's one way toward knowledge, but also, you know, but also sort of unlearning can also help you. Right. Like, so I think that that may be the key, like in aging that, you know, there's going to be a sort of unlearning and sort of a diminishment that you can actually, there may be some wisdom in there. You know, there may be some things about life that you can realize that you couldn't really realize if you had a perfect 21 year old body, you know, I mean, I have a few things I tell myself. One is I can't be young, but I can be new. Oh, I like that. Okay, that's one. And then I don't think of myself as going to the end. I think of myself as like trying to reach a height. I have a ways to go still, yeah. you know, like to reach the place that I, you know, that I was meant to reach in my life, which I feel like I have a very interesting destiny and I want to reach that. So I try to think of that. And then I also try to think of the empathy that can be created in a body that's not 
perfect, you know, like the empathy I have for other people. I've been in pain now because of my aging body some. I can feel more empathy for others. I mean, that's an, a very important expanded viewpoint, which I think is kind of an important part of the end of life, is, you know, sort of being able to join more with other sentient creatures with this idea of, of pain, the body, aging. Those things seem really important to me. Mm-hmm. Just what you were saying about the unlearning, um, Brene Brown probably has the most popular TED talk about the power of vulnerability, but she also talks a lot about like the first like few decades of your life, and this particularly applies to women, is about, you know, like embracing certain behaviors. And then like the next few decades is all about unlearning what you have right. learned in order yeah. to like come into your own, reduce any kind of shame. So I, I think that's a really wonderful perspective that you have on on aging. And I feel so empowered just listening to you. I, I could absolutely picture you like being wide awake and then just finding the positive in that and going to journal rather than have this like unhinged like brain going out of control. So um, just wanted to find out, can you tell our listeners like where can they find out more about Flash Count Diary? Where can they find you online? And, and what do you have coming up next that we can learn more about? The main thing is to really read Flash Count Diary, which is in, it would be in most bookstores. It would definitely be on all the online platforms. You know, wherever you want to buy it online is fine with me. Um, you know, I prefer maybe the lesser, more independent ones. But but if you could get the book, that would be really helpful. Um, if you like the book, if you could write about it on those Goodreads or whatever, that would be amazingly, you know, really helpful for me. And then I have a bunch of projects. I wrote an essay about the painter Agnes Martin, uh, she's very like inspirational to me that's coming out in a, a book of essays about her in the spring. And then I have a project that I'm working on. It's it's kind of a continuation of Flash Count Diary, but it's about the body, pain, and faith, or, or spirituality, you know, not any specific faith. It's sort of about the sacredness of the body, you know, particularly the body and pain. So I'm I'm just starting that now. That's I'm just a few months into that. So that's gonna be the next project. It's another journey, you know, that that needs to be parsed out and thought about and and looked at. So I'm interested in doing that. That's great. Thank you so much, Darcy, for joining us. This was a really incredible conversation. I will not look at whales the same way ever again. (laughs) Well, thank you. And thank you, um, you know, for your important work on the topic. I really appreciate that. There's a lot of work to be done. So I'm glad we're all in there doing it. Absolutely agree. Thanks so much. Thank you, Darcy. Thank you. Well, I am just so moved by that. I I feel like there have been so many of our conversations that every guest is so different, you know? And yes. I would say I was surprised at how empowered I feel. She's done so much research, and the topics that she covers are so fascinating, you know, like the whales and the trans community and all of the parallels there. And I just find it very refreshing to look at things in a, in a more, like, empowering way. And I think she just nails that. I love that she was, you know, failing to find a lot of positives in the human world. So she sought it out Mm. in the animal kingdom. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a big, a growing movement of women saying, we are at our best after menopause. Step back. Here we come. And Mm -hmm. I, I do think there's going to be more and more of that. But I find it interesting that at the time she wrote this book, she was able to show us the story of how these killer whales do it. And I'm, I found it really inspirational too. Yeah. 
Well, and I also like that it's it's not just like your your standard orca. It's the killer whales. Like there's just exactly. like energy and power behind that. It's like, yes. yeah, we're killer. We're coming at you. Like kind of like Randy was like, what are you doing? Out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I think because for so long, like, you know, for so many generations, like women have been silenced in, in so many ways. And so it's just yes. this unleashing in a way, which I think is really, yeah. really awesome. I was still, I'm still chuckling about turning into the Incredible Hulk, which is this like, you know, radical mm-hmm. transformation where you all of a sudden have to like, you know, you're not going to keep quiet anymore and you're going to tell people what you think. And I thought, what a great comparison to the Hulk to a killer whale. Mm-hmm. Totally. And also I liked when she said the thing about the wearing her leather pants and wanting to look interesting. And when she said that, the song playing in the back of my mind was, these boots are made for walking. <laughs> when you would describe in her outfit, and I thought, oh, here she comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, it's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I know you read the book and we want to encourage our listeners to absolutely read it because there's there's just so much that she really explores. And I think there's, you know, we yes. just scratched the surface today. Yes. The book is called Flash Count Diary, Menopause and the Vindication of Natural Life by Darcy Steinke. And yes, I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. So more to come there. And thank you all so much for listening. We hope you had a whale of a good time. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. (laughs) Don't be a blowhole. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks so much. See you next time. Yes. Hey, listeners. If you enjoy this podcast as much as we enjoy recording it, we'd love it if you could help us out. All you have to do is rate and review the show and it will help us reach more listeners. It only takes a minute and it makes a huge difference. It really does. And if you want to follow the show while you're at it, we won't mind. (laughs) No, we won't. And don't forget to tell your friends to check it out too. Our mission at Let's Talk Menopause is to give people the information they need so they can get the health care they deserve. Please visit our website at letstalkmenopause.org for a wealth of menopause information, including a symptoms checklist, information about long-term health risks, how to navigate menopause at work, interviews with health experts, and so much more. This episode of Hello Menopause is sponsored by Always Discreet, makers of liners, pads, and underwear for bladder leaks. Always Discreet, because we deserve better. Hello Menopause is a production from Let's Talk Menopause made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Christine McGinnis. And I'm your host, Robin Gelfenbein. Ina Garkusha is our supervising producer and Alana Herlins is our producer. Laura Boyman and Catherine Devine are our associate producers. Sydney Evans is our dialogue editor and Claire Bidegary Curtis is our sound designer. Hello Menopause was concepted by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pachesnik, and Becca Godwin. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever podcasts are found. So check it out.